32, we're going to uh, talk about uh, uh, an action plan for personal Bible study. An action plan for personal Bible study. I have found that most people that don't have a plan, they never get around to reading the Bible. But the strange thing is they imagine they do. Because it's such a value to them. If you ask them, is the Word of God important? They'd say, oh my goodness, and they could wax eloquent for ten minutes. Are you kidding? The Word of God, it is the most... I would die for the Word of God. I would do this, I would do that. But if, if somehow you could find out the amount of time they spend in the Word of God in the last twelve months, it would m- probably shock them. That's the average believer. They would shock them. They would think, no, it was way more than that. Surely, I don't know what happened. I don't know how my time got away from me. From me. And I have found, in a very practical way, that something as simple but as critical as an action plan is uh, will make the difference. It will make a radical difference in the lives of most most believers. If they have a simple but clear action plan, twelve months will come and go, and they will find out that they have read the Word of God and spent more time in the Word, significantly more. If you're, if it's just the uh, average person, significantly more time in the next 12 months if you have an action plan. But let's look at the handout, but let's look at the uh, side called the power of a focused life. We already covered that, but I just kind of want to get us jump started by uh, uh, the power of a focused life. I gave some of those ideas uh, some weeks ago. Roman numeral number one, the need for vision and focus. The scripture says where there is no vision or there isn't a revelation, there isn't a vision for your life, people live unrestrained. They perish. In other words, their, their lives kind of just, uh, uh, kind of uh, go forward in a certain kind of ambivalence that they're not even aware of until after large periods of time go by and they go, I don't know what's happening to my life. And what it ends up so many times is there's a certain sluggishness, a certain lethargy, all kinds of negative emotions begin to be released in our lives related to living with lack of focus. Now, there's demonic sources of uh, oppression and depression. There's physical sources. There's other emotional sources. But one reason people feel lethargic, oppressed, and all kinds of negative, sluggish kind of, I don't know what to do, is that they don't have that dynamic that they were created as a critical part of their life, which is a focused life. Going somewhere and accomplishing the things that God gave them to accomplish in this life. And they need vision. And I have Roman numeral 2. Uh, I suggest that we get a, a, a larger overlife overall life vision. It's the real reason why you live on the earth. I established my life vision when I was uh, 19, 20 years old. Uh, I spent a lot of time on it because I received this teaching from a, a, a seminar and they, uh, on time management, life management. And I wrote down my vision. I want to be an extravagant worshiper and I want to be, uh, of God and an anointed deliverer of men. I want to be an extravagant worshiper and an anointed deliverer. A worshiper and a deliverer. Now, when I first wrote this uh, vision down, I guess I was 18 at the time because I, I can remember it now, I was on my way to medical school. I, my vision was to be a doctor. I was accepted into a medical school. I was on my way to go, and I wrote the vision to be an anointed worshiper, and I, I mean an extravagant worshiper, an anointed deliverer, without the idea that I would, quote, be in professional ministry. I didn't think I had to be in a professional ministry to live with that life vision. And I said, no matter what I do, occupation, ministry, money, time, exercise, friends, family, children, marriage, all these things, I am going to see to it that everything somehow works to that life vision. I want everything in my life to to somehow contribute to my overall life vision. And then I talked about be life goals, uh, uh, applying your life vision to specific areas of your life. And I suggest long-term and short-term goals. I have that written down there in seven different areas. I don't want to go through that again. But here's the critical part is that in those seven areas, and I mean, this is critical. This is not a... Kind of do it if you kind of feel in the mood. It's critical. I, I really believe this. 25 years later in ministry and pastoring, I can tell you this is critical in just my own life. Um, observing my own life and what works and doesn't work, you need to have an action plan for each area of your life that you have a vision for. It's not enough to have a vision. You need an action plan. 
And I would encourage you to actually write it out. A short one, just a couple sentences, an action plan. What are you going to do about these seven areas of your life to fulfill your vision? But as critical as the action plan, D, and this is where most of it, this is where most vision just fades into unreality. They even get the action plan, but they don't actually put a schedule on the action plan. They don't actually rearrange their life around a focused schedule so even their action plan doesn't actually get feet to it. And as simple as this is, this is so simple, it will make the difference, a radical difference in your life in three months, not to mention in three years. What, and three years will come and go in a moment. And uh, most, uh, most people I know do not have a focused life. And even believers who love God, they just kind of take it as it comes and, and they just kind of, uh, and they end up uh, spending uh, a lot of their life energies in all the wrong battles. They're battling the areas the Lord says, you're never going to win the war if you fight all those battles. Stay focused on the vision I have given you and you will avoid all kinds of other little side skirmishes in life just by staying focused and having an action plan and a schedule. Okay, let's turn the page over. Now we're going to apply that. I'm going to apply, boy, I raced through that, didn't I? I, I watched the clock. I said, I'm going to, Mike, I said, note, do this in less than five minutes, page one. And I did it. And that was hard. That hurt, kind of, but I did it. Five minutes. I was watching the clock, okay? <laughs> They're clapping because of those that are visiting, because if I could do that, they know that's a gift of the Holy Spirit, an operation in front of them. Okay, let's go to the other uh, uh, page, and this is the other side. We want to talk about uh, developing an action plan for personal Bible study because that's one of the areas is Bible study. First, I'm going to uh, I'm going to be just real personal because I'm going to take you uh, on a journey that I've gone through over the years. Again, it's it's my early years, 18, 19, 20 years old. It's the it's when I was involved in Campus Crusade and, and Navigators, and it was those two ministries that 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 really pressed me. Campus Crusade and, and Navigators, two college ministries that said you you got to have an an action plan, you got to have time management, you got to be in the Bible all the time, you got to witness, you got to pray. They told me all these things, and I said, oh, I don't want to do those things. I just want to just end up godly with a flowing heart and everything working well. I don't want to bother with this stuff. Well, anyway, this is one of the verses that was uh, stressed in my early days. I heard this over and over, and I just took hold of it, and it became a foundational verse. I remember uh, all through my 20s as I was uh, pastoring in 30s, I've shared this verse so many times over the years, Acts 20, verse 32, because it was the verse that the Lord launched me in in terms of the Word of God. And I heard it several times from uh, my teachers in, the, in those earlier days of my life, and I want to encourage you to take this verse and run with it. We had our Forerunner School of Ministry graduation yesterday and I use this verse to commend them and to charge them as Bible school students to continue in the Word of God. Here's what Paul said. He's talking to the elders of Ephesus. As he's departing from three years in Ephesus, he wants to give them one final charge, which uh, we find here in Acts chapter 20, verse 17 on to 38. It's, it's the account of Paul's last words to this revival center in Ephesus, which was so dynamic. Three years, he's leaving, they're weeping, they're hugging him, and they're just, oh, we love you, we love you, we love you. And so uh, they're going, uh, Paul's about to go on his trip, so Jesse and Rochelle, we'll just make this a tailor-made message just for you. As you're going on your journey, they're all weeping, they love you. Same thing happening to uh, Paul here. And here's what Paul charged them. He He said this in verse 32. He goes, I commend you to God, number one. I entrust you into the hands of God. That's a a big statement, which we won't go into right now. And secondly, I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance amongst those who who are sanctified. Powerful concepts in this verse there. Paul is telling the elders. Okay, now he's been with them three years. He's discipled them. They're established in the Word of God. He's not talking to the new believers class. He's talking to the mature elders that have been raised up under an apostolic anointing with signs and wonders and miracles and Paul's preaching. He said, here's what I charge you to do. And I commend you to the Word of His grace to stay in the Word of God. Now, of course, at that time, they had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't uh, written and canonized yet. But he's referring to the Old Testament. But the Old Testament, it's the same principles. It says, I commend you to the word of His grace. 
And he tells them why. It has supernatural abilities. The Word of God releases supernatural abilities in your soul under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That is the, uh, that's the premise. The premise, there is a supernatural activity that happens when the written Word of God touches the human heart under the anointing of the Spirit. It's able to do something. And you might underline the phrase, it is able. The Word of God, which is able. It has abilities. It has a supernatural dynamic when it comes into contact with the human heart in right conditions. I'm going to say that again. The Word of God has a supernatural dynamic when it contacts the human heart in right, uh, in, in, with, with the right conditions. I'm going to talk about those conditions in a moment. Now, here's what it's able to do supernaturally. Number one, it will build you up. In other words, it will make your heart flow like a river. It will make your heart, it will awaken your heart and empower your heart with supernatural love and fire in your heart. Now we talk about love and fire and it means the same thing really. Beloved, the word of God is the, is, is one of the significant components in building up your heart. Now again, I don't mean to be negative, it's just, uh, but I want you to know what you're up against is that the tide of history and my experience over, uh, 30 plus years of of a, a work of being uh, uh, deeply involved with people, most believers who love the Lord don't get around to the Word of God. I've watched this for 30 years. They mean to. They even think they do. But they don't actually do it. And they're mystified as to why their soul becomes lethargic and spiritually dull. They have taken out of their diet that which is, has supernatural ability to build up and awaken. It's a mysterious thing, but it's a very powerful thing. How is it that we can read written words on a page and our hearts become built up with the anointing, the tenderizing of our spirit? I'm talking about where we love the things we used to hate and we hate the things we used to love. That's called righteousness. There is an impartation the Word of God releases when we actually love what in our early days we didn't like at all. Our early days in the Lord. Oh, we didn't like prayer. We didn't like fasting. We didn't like righteousness. We didn't like pressing in. We didn't like endurance. We didn't like serving. We didn't like humility. We didn't like all kinds of things. And if all of a sudden we have this growing desire for things that are not natural to the human soul, at least the unsaved, the unregenerate human soul. Now we love the things we used to hate, and we're beginning to hate the things we used to love, the things of sin. That is the work of God. It's not an automatic thing. This happens when we give ourselves to God in the way that God describes. And part of it is, is, is the Word of God. Now, the goal is, is that the living Word, Jesus, that's Jesus, that we would encounter the living Word through the written Word. That is the plan of God. We encounter the man Jesus, the living word, but we encounter him through the written word. And that's what Jesus said in John 5, 39 and 40. He looked at the Pharisees and he said, you know what the problem is? You search the written word, but it doesn't awaken your heart. You don't have life. You don't uh, experience inward transfer, transformation because when you read and study the written word, you don't. It doesn't bring you into dialogue. It doesn't bring you into contact with the living word. He goes, I'm the living word. And if you read the written word in dialogue with a heart connect with the living word, Jesus, then you experience life or an awakened heart. You can put the word awakened heart in there. Or a tenderized heart. Or godly emotions. You can put whatever phrase you want in there. That's what Jesus means when he says you will have life in John 5, 39 and 40. If you will take the written word and you will cause it to be the conversation material. The, con the, the, uh, the dialogue, if you will, between your heart and God's heart. And it brings you into contact with the living word. Now, Jesus said that, in, that the Word of God was like a seed that has life in it. In Luke 8, 11, He likened the Word of God to a seed. Now, that seed has real properties of life. It has real abilities of life. Even though it's written, it's written on a page. You think, now, how is this written page? There's no life in this page. No, there's not in the page. But the ideas 
The ideas have life in them. And when we take the ideas and we bring them into conversation with the living uh, uh, Word Himself, Jesus, the written Word has ideas called truth. When we take that truth, we talk to the living Word, our heart, it's like the combustion. It, it takes place. There's an action that moves on the inside and it awakens the human heart. I've Again, I've talked to so many believers over the years. My heart is dead. I'm burned out. I'm this. I'm that. I don't have motivation. And I said, I can almost guarantee you in the last 12 months you have spent about, about this amount of time, whatever that means, in the Word of God in terms of talking to Jesus, reading the Word of God. How did you know? Is that a prophecy? No, that's absolutely certain the fruit of a person who's not living in the Word of God, their soul will grow dry. You can be the most anointed preacher today and have a completely spiritually barren soul in five years from today. Today's anointing, the river flowing in your heart today, is no guarantee you will have it in five years. I've watched many a man or woman of God under the anointing of preaching, fiery, flowing like a river on the inside. Five and ten years later, they're stuck. The word is boring. They've lost the spirit of prayer. Their heart is being drawn into other things that they overcame in the former days of their life. They're getting ensnared in those uh, uh, encumbering sins that that are besetting sins. And they're going, I don't know what happened. And here's what happened. One of the things. I don't want to make it overly simplified, but at the same time, this is a critical part. They began to live in ministry. They began to go business as usual. They, the Word of God somehow lost its place in their schedule. One year turned to two. Turned to, two years turned to five. And their heart began to grow weary. The life of God in the Word of God, that is, or the life of God released through the Word, and the Holy Spirit that's in us, uh, we began to lose uh, uh, encounter with that life. We, we lose the impact of that life in our soul. Doesn't, he's talking to elders here, Paul is. It's able to build you up. And it's more than able to build you up. In other words, awaken godly motions in you. Awakens uh, uh, or impart to you ministry skills and knowledge of God's ways. It's not just godly emotions, but it's actually uh, gives you the mind of Christ. You understand what God's doing. It, it's fantastic what it does to you emotionally and mentally. It's a, it's, a, it's a progression. It happens little by little. But there's another thing Paul said. He said it will give you an inheritance among the believers. The Word of God is what God uses to help get you into your inheritance. And we have an inheritance in eternity, and we have an inheritance in this life. And our inheritance in this life is our prophetic promises, our inheritance in this life are... Well, there's many dimensions of our inheritance. The fact that we would be lovers of God is part of our inheritance. The fact that we would have godly relationships and an anointed ministry, that's part of our inheritance. There's many dimensions of what God has promised us. I find this very interesting. Paul says, you get in the Word of God, it's able to build you up mentally, train your mind in revelation, awaken your heart in passion and emotion, and it's able to get you to the place where the things God promised you actually come to pass now. And I believe many of people have not entered into their inheritance Sometimes because the time hasn't come for the full inheritance. But other times because the opposite of verse 32 is taking place in their life. They've lost their relationship with Jesus in the Word. And some of their inheritance they're losing simply because they're not equipped to walk in that inheritance. It it grieves me. It pains me as a spiritual father. I don't mean I'm mad at him. You know, thinking, you know, you know, uh, how you say that? Yeah, anyway, you said it two different ways. Okay, anyway, I'm sad that you're hurting. (laughs) Bah humbug, that's it. It's not just that I feel, I'm not upset at them, but I I grieve for them as as, as a leader, as a shepherd, as a spiritual father. I go, God has this for you. They go, well, I'm just too busy to get in the Word. I said, well, then you're too busy to get into your inheritance. I assure you, I assure you, 
You get too busy for the Word of God, you will become too busy to enter into your full inheritance. That's an absolute biblical promise. You may enter into some of it, but you will not enter into the fullness that God has called you if you don't have the Word of God as a critical part of your life. Because the Word of God, it equips you, it builds you, it transforms you, it changes you. It causes the anointing and all the things critical to enter into your inheritance. Your inheritance isn't just a guaranteed reality in this age. Your inheritance has conditions. You have to think a certain way. You have to feel a certain way to enter into the fullness of the things God has called you to enter into. They are related to what you think and what you feel. Having your heart alive in righteousness, having your mind equipped where you can use the Word of God in ministry, the Lord says you're going to need that because your inheritance requires that, that you operate in those things. It's very, very important. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we know the verse well, is that the Word of God is sharp. It's living first. Well, let's just turn it there. We're almost, well, Hebrews 4, 12. It's so, uh, uh, maybe some of you are new in the Lord and you don't know this verse. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It's so excellent. It's absolutely the promises of the Word of God. For the Word of God is living. It's living. It has the, it has the, uh, uh, a dynamic of supernatural power in it. It really does. These ideas, when they enter our heart under the anointing, they have power to f- transform our emotions and to release revelation to our mind. The Word of God is living. If you believe that, you will schedule time in it. If you don't believe the Word of God is living, if it's just a dead word, then you maybe won't value it. But when you believe it's living... It will have ever as much power as a prayer as a prayer line with somebody laying hands on you, asking for the anointing to touch you. Beloved, there is a more sustained reality of life in your secret history in God with a living word entering your heart. Now, I don't think we have to choose between. We can have both and. It doesn't have to be either or. We don't have to choose the ministry lines or the Word of God. Let's do both. But, see, people come to ministry lines because they think there's the chance there might be a flow of life. Beloved, I promise you there's a flow of life in the Word of God. It will transform your emotions. It will awaken desires. It will awaken joy and strength and might in your spirit. I've I've known this experience. I've known what it means to feel the might of God for long periods of time in my spirit. My heart alive in righteousness to wake up in the morning eager to get about the business of the kingdom. Loving righteousness, hating things that I used to be uh, uh, stuck in. I know those feelings. Those are wonderful emotions. I love those emotions. I don't have them all the time, every day, all day. It's not that kind of thing. But I know what it means to have that kind of inward activity of the Spirit for long periods of time. I know what it means to lose it, too. And I know what it means to go, oh, my goodness, I have to get back to that which I've told others to awaken and get my heart jump-started again. I've had it and lost it several times in 30 years. But, I, but I, I, I know the way. I know the path. I believe in this verse, the Word is living. It is alive. It is really living. Well, I'm all dead and bored and depressed. Well, get into contact with something living. Well, where, when's the meeting? Well, there's something better than the meeting. Although I believe in the meeting. That's why we have them. The Bible says to gather, to assemble together in meetings right here in the book of Hebrews. But I said, there's something alive. It's yours if you want it. You can get in contact with something that's alive with a vibrant supernatural life. Well, I'm too busy for that. Well, then you're too busy to have your soul set free then. If you're too busy to encounter the life of God, well, then the other options is to live outside of the life of God or to live with a diminished experience. And, beloved, we're not too busy for this. What more do we want than our life, than our heart alive? I mean, vibrant, loving righteousness, loving prayer, loving the presence, loving God's people, even in their broken and uh, uh, state and, and some of the mean ways they might treat you, feeling joy in your spirit, feeling energy in your heart about God and His kingdom. If you're too busy for that, well, you're not. Okay. But the Word of God is more than living. It is powerful. It has supernatural power in it. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of the soul and the spirit. And it goes on to describe some of its operations of how it sets us free, etc. Okay, since we're right here in uh, 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 Hebrews, go over one more book to James. James chapter 1, verse 2. 
I mean, James chapter 1, verse 21. James chapter 1. Look what it says here. It says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness. James 1, 21. Lay aside the overflow of, of uh, wickedness. And here it is. Receive with humility or meekness. Here it is. Receive the implanted word which is able to deliver your souls. This word is able to deliver your heart and your emotions. It is implanted. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, using the analogy of the word being a seed with life in it. James said, you let the word of God take root in your heart. It will deliver your soul. It will deliver you from really negative emotions. All kinds of hurt and pain and addictions and bondage and oppression and demonic activity and that which is not demonic activity. It's just fallen humanity. It's the unrenewed mind. Beloved, we have, I have, you have, we have, we have more emotion going on inside of us that the Lord says, I would that you would be free from significant amounts of that negative emotion. And he says, how do we do it? He says, you receive the word implanted. You take time to let the word take root. You take time to let the word take root. That's how it becomes implanted. You let a root system grow in you of the word of God. It will deliver your soul. It will save your soul. It will set you free from emotions that are harassing you because it has supernatural power in it. Now, you have to get a vision that the Word of God is living and powerful. Ephesians, I mean, Hebrews 4.12. We need a vision that it really is living and really is, is powerful. In my early days, I didn't really know if it was or wasn't. Just my leaders said it was. The Word of God's living and powerful. And it was the Bible, you know. I said, okay. I'll, I, I just kind of, I don't know how I believed it. But I just took it at their word and started... Uh, spending time in it, and I tell you, the first couple of years, not that I'm going to put this on you, was boring. The first couple of years, uh, I just kind of meandered around, and I just said, Lord, you know, it's like the thing I've told you many times. I love, I love you. I just don't like Bible study. I don't like prayer. I hate fasting. I don't like witnessing. Everything else I like. I don't like Bible study. I remember my Bible study time because my leaders told me I had to do it, just like I'm telling you. And I went, ugh. I thought, Lord, can't you think of anything better for me to do than this? This is so boring. It was like a puzzle that didn't make any sense at all. And then, then I went down my list. I thought, prayer. Ooh, that's worse. I'd rather read the Bible. And then I looked, went down my list. It got worse. Then fasting after prayers. Bible study prayer. I said, ooh, man. I said, Lord, there's got to be a better way to love you than this burdensome lifestyle. Witnessing wasn't that bad. But uh, when your soul is real uh, quenched, and dull and, and lethargic spiritually, witnessing doesn't have the same zip that it has when your spirit's alive. And so witnessing was my last on the list, but that was the thing I probably liked the most of those. But I didn't really like it. I did it because I thought it was right to. And uh, anyway, I was a mess. And I said, Lord, somehow I'm going to have to get out of this mess. And this is one of the passages that uh, the, those that were over me and the Lord uh, just emphasized, the implanting of the Word of God. Okay, let's go. A couple books this way to First Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two. You're right next to it. It's just right before Hebrews. First Thessalonians chapter two. I just want to read you one verse. Verse thirteen. First Thessalonians two verse thirteen. For this reason we thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, listen, which is also effectively works in you when you believe. The word of God effectively or supernaturally works inside of you. It really does. There is a supernatural power when you develop a root system for the word of God inside your heart, when the word's implanted in you. It really delivers you. It really delivers you. You know, I've had uh, uh, people tell me uh, over the years, and I hope this doesn't uh, sound proud and arrogant, but they say, you know, you've got such zeal for the Lord. You're going so hard. You're just different. And I said, and I've, I've never really uh, uh, fully appreciated that I, because uh, for several reasons. One other thing, it gets them off the hook. And uh, another thing, I know it's not true. I just know it's not true. Well, you're just different. You know, you're you and you, you know, you go for God hard. And I think one of the reasons I've had energy in my spirit since I was 18, 19 years old, 
Uh, now, again, not 100% of the time, all the time, but certainly 95% of the time of the last 35, 30 years is because I have been radically committed to reading the Word of God in my personal life and praying it. I don't have, well, Mike, you're just Mike, and you've got a little bit of zeal. You're very energetic anyway. You know, that's just your personality. Spiritual vitality is not a, a personality temperament. Spiritual vitality is a work of the Spirit. You can have the, the quietest personality and have spiritual vitality, or you can have the most outgoing personality and have no spiritual vitality as a believer. As a matter of fact, I know many uh, uh, people in leadership that have real outgoing personalities, but they don't have spiritual vitality because their outgoing personality has created enough open doors they don't actually have a life in the Word. And so though they have an outgoing personality, they don't have a spiritual vitality. They don't have, an, they don't have a, a buoyant spirit before God. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's strange using myself as an example, but I, I'm just going to, is that because I know me best. I, I've got the, the best person I can give testimony about is me. And that's the power of a testimony. But I've known this for 30 years. I have stayed true to the Word of God in my personal life, Seasons I'm busy, seasons I'm tired, seasons doors are opening, seasons everybody seems to be attacking, seasons where it's high, seasons where it's low. And one thing I have tried to stay steady with, with not just studying it, having a personal life, and, 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 and granted, being in the ministry has helped me some uh, with this, hours a day. I've sought to do this for hours a day for 30 years. And, and I'm not saying, wow, aren't I dedicated? That's not the point of it. What I'm really saying is I'm a satisfied customer. That's why I keep doing it. It's like these uh, uh, teenagers who want to come back for three more weeks. It's not because they're so dedicated. They're satisfied customers. I haven't done it because I'm dedicated. I've done it because something touched me that was real and was worth it. If something touched me. I said, I love this feeling. And then when I lose that dynamic, I go, I hate living like this. And I know the way back into it. And then if you throw a little bit of fasting in on it, and it actually increases its impact on your spirit. It really, really does. We don't have to live in spiritual lethargy. We just don't have to. Okay, one more passage, then we're going to get to the action plan here, which is a pretty simple one, so that's why I don't uh, need much time on it. Matthew chapter 13. It's a quite simple, very, very easy action plan. But if you, but you need to do it though. You don't need to do my plan, but you need to do some plan. And you can take this one and then, uh, if you don't like it, uh, just adjust it as you go. Matthew chapter 13. Now here's the famous passage of Jesus using the Word of God as seed and the human heart like soil. And, uh, I won't read the whole thing or even describe the whole thing. But he gives, in Matthew chapter 13, he begins in verse 4. He said, there's four types of soil. In verse 4, the wayside, said the seed fell in the wayside. Verse 5, the stony soil, the stony places. Verse 7, the seed fell among thorns. And verse 8, the seed fell among good ground. So there's four types of heart responses that came into contact with the Word of God. And you can read, it's very, very clear right here. And you can read verse 18 to 23 to give the interpretation. It's very, very clear. But uh, I just want to make a, a few uh, uh, points here because it's so self-explanatory. As you read it, you can say, oh, wow, that's very, very, very easy. Verse 21, it's the person who hears the Word of God, but he has no root system in him in the Word of God. They come to meetings like this. They hear the Word. They might even take a few notes. But they don't do anything with it in their private life, and they don't develop a root system in the Word. And what I mean by a root system in the Word, I'm simply talking about just growing in understanding on the inside. That's all I'm talking about. And it takes time to grow a root system. It really does. You can't do it on the run, and nobody else can do it for you. No one else can do it. I've been, again, pastoring for over 25 years, and the amount of people that were on fire, they come to the altar call, I want to go for God, I want all revival, the greater works than these, end time, Elijah, forerunner, spirit, ah, bring it on God, everything. They answer every altar call. But they don't actually develop a root system in their own heart in the Word of God. And I tell you, one year will turn to five, five will turn to ten, and they will be as oppressed and depressed as they are right now answering the altar call. 
Their spirit will be longing for other things. They won't really understand these people pressing in for eternity. It doesn't really make sense. They know it's in the Bible, but it doesn't really make sense. Lots of things won't make sense to them. They will be in the environment, but they will be as beat up and spiritually dead and lethargic on the inside as they were even five and ten years ago. I can't develop a root system in the Word for you. Your husband and wife, your best friend, your parents can't, your children can't. Nobody can develop this for you. You develop it by you taking it. You start off a half hour a day. You grow it in an hour a day. I always told people, start off a half hour a day in the Word. And I know this for a fact. If you start off for a half hour a day in the Word of God, I know that that's not sufficient. I really actually know that's not sufficient. But I know if you do that for a half hour a day, you will be finding ways to make it 45 minutes. Then you'll find ways to make it an hour. Then you'll start getting up early on a day off and reading a little bit. You'll be staying up a little bit late. You'll turn the TV off because there's that one more chapter you want to read. You start off a little bit and your hunger will grow. You feed it every day in a half hour a day. It won't be long to where you will never be satisfied with a half hour of sitting in God's presence, reading the Word of God. You will demand, your soul will demand more. You'll say, I can't. And you'll find all kinds of ways to increase that time. So I encourage people to start a half hour a day. And if you're on the IHOP staff and you're here all day long, I'd start an hour or two a day. You know, just jump right in. But beloved, I'm going to tell you this. This thing will get a hold of you if you stay with it. I don't mean one here, one there. You stay with it for the next year or two. And I assure you that something will awaken in your spirit. In verse 21, you will begin to grow a root system. And this root system means you'll have a depth of godly emotions will begin to be strengthened. You'll have a depth of understanding. There will be a new anointing on your life and on your heart. This root system, it will stay steady when a negative season comes against you. A bad season will come. The money's bad. Or relationships, they're all mad at you. Or your body's sick. Or the anointing doesn't seem like you can find it at all. Your ministry's as flat as it ever was. You might go through a season of pruning or a season of difficulty. With a root system, your heart stays alive. But look, look, look at this verse 22. Here's the, here's the, the real challenge that I want to give the, the IHOP staff and just the whole FCF family. The whole uh, FCF family, whether you're on the staff or not, here he says, now let me tell you about another kind of guy who hears the word. Verse 22. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word. They have the word, but they have so many cares, and they're so in the, the deceitfulness of riches. Now, you don't have to be rich to be held sway to the deceitfulness of riches. Some of the poorest people in the earth are more covetous than the rich people are. So don't think it's about being rich that you're deceived. It's a spirit of deception related to finance. And you can be one of the poorest people and still be distracted by the deceitfulness of riches. And you can have the most money and be free from the deceitfulness of riches. It's not about what you have. It's about what you long for. And uh, Mark... Uh, chapter 4, verse 19 adds another phrase here. It says, and desires for other things. Ooh, that's, that's the one that has always bugged me the most, personally. Desires for other things. And then that's uh, Mark 4, 19. Adds to, to this because uh, Matthew says, cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches. Mark adds desires for other things. It will choke the vitality of the Word of God in your experience. It will choke the vitality of the Word in you. Desires for other things. Well, what desires? Don't ask me and don't ask a leader. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. Nobody has the right to give you that list. You get that list from the Lord. Well, what if you, you know, you overdo it for a season? Oh, you'll be fine, you know. That's okay. You know, someone says, we better give them the list because what if they overdo it? What do they give up too much for a season? Oh, they'll be fine. They'll run into Jesus. He'll sort it out and he'll kiss their heart anyway. Desires for other things. Choke the Word of God. Uh, Luke adds another phrase. Luke adds another phrase in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. It's the same parallel passage. He calls it, the pleasures of life will choke the Word. The pleasures of life will choke the Word. And so you can actually be in the Word, but if you are filled with the cares and the worries, 
deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things, and the pleasures of life, the Word of God, you'll have a surface encounter with it, but it will never transform you. It will never take root because it's choked off by the hindering forces of, of darkness and of just the cares of this world, the, the values of this world. I, it was this verse. It was, uh, it was really the Mark 4.19. When I, I remember I wrestled with that when I was 20 years old. I go, desires for other things? What does that mean? Lord, I, I'm bugged by this. I wish you would have given me a list. You know, I was playing college football at the time. I go, am I supposed to quit football? Somebody tell me. Am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do that? I wanted answers, and I didn't hardly get answers to any of it. But I think the Lord just liked that I was asking. Probably I got great answers. I just never figured out what they were. Meaning, just as life, as the Lord led me years later, things took care of themselves. And, uh, but that used to really bother me. I wrestled with Mark's 419 when I was 18, 19, and 20, and many times since then. And, uh, uh, again, Mark 419 is, is the, is, uh, the Matthew 13, 22. It's that added phrase, desires for other things. And uh, I want to tell you this, though. Becoming a student of the Bible is not enough. I'm not talking about just becoming an avid Bible study person because John 5.39, I quoted it already. Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees, you study night and day, but you don't br- bring your heart into living contact with who I am. You've got a heart of unbelief. You have a heart that's choking the life of the Word. And he says, you're spiritually dead. So I'm not talking about if you go to Bible school, take enough classes, take enough notes, it's going to be fine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your personal time where you talk to God in the Word. It takes root. And what you want to do is you don't want the uh, the uh, other issues to militate against the life of God, in your, of the Word of God in your soul. I think of our heart as a garden. Our heart is like a garden. The Word of God is the seed. And the Lord says... Or the scripture describes, if you water and weed that garden, if you, you, the, you take the seed, you put the word in you, you water it. Devotion, prayer, worship, fasting, giving, serving, water that seed. Again, devotion times where you're reading the word, I love you, God. You're reading it devotionally. Worship, fasting, serving one another, giving, you're watering the seed. Then you're weeding the seed. You're taking out the cares, the pleasures, the desires for things that the Lord shows you are hindering the growth of your heart. You weed those things out. It's called repentance. You weed the, the, uh, the pleasures of life that are blocking the vitality of the Word. You weed the, the desire for other things blocking the vitality of the Word. And I want to promise you, it blocks the vitality of the Word. It really does. Jesus was not exaggerating. Ask Him which ones He is putting His finger on in your life. Obey it. Weed. Pull those weeds out. Weed the garden. But water it. Your personal time in the Word. Your worship time. Your fasting. Water it. And I tell you, that seed will grow Oh, look what it says in verse 23. You will have understanding, a spirit of revelation. That's what understanding means. You'll have a spirit of revelation on you. It will bear fruit and it will produce. The Word of God will produce. I like that word. It produces something of substance in your life. Some of you will go and you'll have 30-fold produce. Others, you will press in in a greater abandonment. You'll have 60. And there's several, one here and one there. They will have a hundredfold. Beloved, I think it's good just to be amongst the fruitful. It's good to be amongst the fruitful versus the other types of soil. But there's some of you in here, you are so determined, you said, I don't want 30. I want a hundredfold produce. I want a hundredfold harvest. Beloved, give yourself in a radical way to the Word of God. The Word of God is a critical way that God uses to produce in you, this hundredfold response, this hundredfold fruitfulness. And I tell you, you won't get it apart from the Word of God. You won't get it just in faithful ministry. I've seen the guys through the years, they're hours doing this and hours. They pour their life out. They are, they are so sacrificial. They burn the midnight oil early and late. They do it all. And their Word in their life, it gets less and less and less. And five years grows to ten. And their soul They've regressed spirit in terms of spiritual vitality significantly. I've seen it so many hundreds of times by people with anointed ministries. Now remember, Paul gave that word to the elders, not just to the new believers. He was talking to the anointed elders. When I get too busy for the Word of God, 
in my leadership role in this this wild thing we got called this mission space, like, Lord, what on earth is going on in this place? So much is happening, and the Lord tells me over and over, you get too busy for the Word. You just become like a, a hireling. You're just working. You're putting your hours in. It's no more connected to my heart, and your heart will grow dead in it. And I tell you, I've made a commitment for my sake, not even for your sake. Lord, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And I find times I have to draw back and relook at it again and re- rework my schedule again. Okay, let's look at this. This uh, handout. Goals. Well, I want to tell you first, the first 30 minutes was why. Why do you want to read the Word of God? Now the next few minutes, how? The how is really pretty easy. The why. I want to tell you the why, and I want to give you the how. Okay, goals related to, uh, to knowing the Word of God. There's two different ways to approach it, and you can switch it back and forth. I've done this over the years, different ones. Number one, you can study books of the Bible. This is for uh, uh, an action plan for Bible study. Now, remember, in this I'm talking about you're studying it so that you can encounter the Lord at the heart level. Study is good. I'm not minimizing study, but I study so I can sigh and go, Oh, I love you, God. I love you. What I just read, is this true about you? I love this. I love to express devotion in the midst of study. That's the key. Don't forget that point. That's key. Study by itself is not enough. Uh, Two different ways to do it. Very, very simple. I'm sure there's others. You can study books of the Bible. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm studying books of the Bible. I was uh, talking to Misty today. She goes, I'm going after Isaiah. I want to go out. She goes, I'm hungry for Isaiah. Help me to study Isaiah. I go, good, I'd love to. The other way, there's another way. I did this for several years. I love this one too. I would, instead of studying a book of the Bible, I would take ten chapters a day. And if you take ten chapters a day, I would read it slowly. If you do that, you'll get through the New Testament every month. Ten chapters a day. If you read it six days a week. You'll get, I did this for a number of years. I read the New Testament once a month for probably two or three years straight. And it was fantastic. I was so alive doing that. I didn't even understand half what was going on. Because those were the days I couldn't figure out uh, much between a gospel, an epistle, and a disciple, and an apostle. They all seemed the same to me. I used to read all those. I go, Lord, why don't you make it easy, you know? They all, I couldn't figure out anything. But I just read it anyway, you know. And I just said, okay, I'll start Matthew. You know why a lot of people don't read the Bible? They don't know where to start. And so uh, somebody gave me this idea. I don't even remember who. I was about 20, something like that. And uh, ten, ten, uh, 10 chapters a day. They said you can read the, oh, I know where I got it, because Watchman E used to do it. I read his biography. I just remembered. I had a flashback here. Well, I read Watchman E's biography when I was, and Watchman E read the New Testament every month through. That's how I got the idea. And then I counted it all up. That's it. And said, found out it was 10 chapters a day. I wanted to be like Watchman E. Well, I want to be like whoever's book I read last. That's who I want to be. It's really tough when I read Amy Simple McPherson's biography. But anyway, <laughs> I was a biography fanatic. I just read everybody, and I wanted to be whoever that person was. Okay, ten chapters a day. If you did that, beloved, you think ten chapters a day, that's not that big a deal. When I was 20, 21 years old, I had, a, I had hundreds, hundreds. I remember... When I was 21, I'm just getting the, the dates right, not that you care, but I do. 21 and 22, I had hundreds of young adults, because I, I was a, a part of a large young adult ministry, and I had hundreds of them signed up, and they did it for a year, and then I went and planted a church on the other end of town, and so I kind of lost my way with that group. But several hundred of them, they were all committed together, and we read 10 chapters a day for at least a full year. Hundreds of them did it. And so it's doable. They they were in college and jobs and this and that. And they found out, you know what they started doing? Turning the TV off at night because they started getting excited. I'm talking about most of them never read the Bible. Hardly at all. And I told them I was going to do it. And they said, if you will, we will. And about three, four months into it, they started getting so excited. They got up early on Saturday morning. They were reading it before church. They went to church. They went home right afterwards, started reading it again. It became alive in them. They had no desire for it. And it got a hold of them. Hundreds of young adults did this. 18, 19, 21, 22. It's doable. It's doable. And then about a year later, I planted a church on the other end of the town. I was in St. Louis at the time, and so I lost contact with that group. But, uh, but I don't know if they still did it or not, but uh, probably not. But 10 chapters a day. Say, so I don't want to, like, study a book. I don't want to study the book of Matthew. I just want to read the New Testament through for about a year. If you took a year and did that, it, you would be overjoyed what would take place in you. It might be slow start the first month or two. You just stay with it. Again, throw a little fasting in as well. And when you read it, talk to the Lord in it. 
Just say, Lord, do you really do that? Do you really think that? Are you really that way? Wow, what was you thinking when you said that? How about me? How could I do that? Just talk to him as you're reading it. It's no great mystery. Just talk to him. Okay, an action plan. Say you're one of the ones that say, okay, I want to actually study the Bible. I don't want to do that 10-chapter thing. Or maybe you'll study, uh, you know, Isaiah for a month or two. Then you'll do the 10-chapter for a month or two. Then you'll go back and study Matthew for a, a month or two. Then you'll do the 10-chapter thing for a month or two. You can do it any way you want, of course. But I did that for a couple of years. I loved it. I loved it. Remember the Diane when the whole youth group was doing that? We were all doing it. We all had our little charts out and mapping them, and it was really fun. How come you quit doing it? No, anyway. Uh, <laughs> she said she's still doing it. Why did I quit? Okay, there you go. You got me. <laughs> okay, action plan for Bible study. Okay, now I know I got a bunch of you all eager and ready to go. So I'm going to sit down. I can, measure, I, can, I can picture. KJ, which Bible book of the Bible you want to study? She lists 50 of them. No, you can't have 50 of them. You've got to pick one book at a time. Because I already talked to her about her Bible a study plan. And she wants to study all of them. You, here's what I would say. T- get your top ten, your juicy list, okay? And write it down. This is how I did it. Because it was too many great books. I want to do David. No, I want to do the Revelation thing. No, I want to do, do the Psalms. Wait. No, I know. I want to do John. Everybody likes John. Yeah, but I want the power of the book of Acts. But i got to read Romans. Everybody says Romans is good. I was a mess. So I limited it down to my top ten, my, my juicy list. And I said, okay, this is where I'm going. But I had a plan. I had a sequence. And I, actually, that's important to put your ten down there. Because when you get done with one book, you know where you're going after that. And it's something as simple as that. I'm telling you, it makes a difference. I know, I knew which book I was going to study next. The next several books. I had it on my little list there. And for the most part, I stayed with it. But study one book at a time. And that's hard to do. It's hard to do because you'll come to a meeting here and Alan Hood will be talking on Daniel, but you're studying Matthew, so you'll want to get rid of Matthew and start studying Daniel. Just stick with one book. So stay with it. It's hard around this place because you got so many, uh, you know, things happening. Okay, now, B, pick a specific times in the week you dedicate for study. And it's, I mean, I mean study, pray. Pray over the Word is what I mean. You're studying the Word, but you're, you're studying it with an, with an I love you in your heart as you're doing it. You need to pick the specific times. Get the five, seven, eight times. Lock down the schedule. If you don't do this, I want to tell you, one year from today, unless you're very unusual, you will still be in the wannabe category. You still won't have done it yet. You have to, well, I'll just do it as the Lord makes the, if you wait till the Lord makes the opportunity, the devil will make sure your schedule is filled, and if he doesn't, all your friends will. You have to... Get specific times that you are tenacious about. I know what my Bible study times are. And I don't guard them 100%, but I guard them about 90%. I go, no, I have to. Because one month turns to a year, and a year turns to ten. And ten years goes by. You sneeze twice, and ten years goes by. At least at my age. It's really real. You have to lock that in. Traveling ministries... Leaders on staff here, they're leading all kinds. Lock in your times for you and the Word. I don't mean your intercession times here. I'm talking about your you and the Word of God. And you're going to go through it, and you're locking it in. And you can do it right in this room. We've got a great anointed atmosphere, good coffee next door. I've noticed a few have been sneaking it in. But anyway, uh, we'll move past that. I saw what's-his-name. He snuck some in, but I lost all my authority because I reached over and took a drink. But anyway, (laughs) other than that, I was going to tell him to, you know, see. Okay, how to study. Five simple steps. Five simple steps. This is so easy, but if you don't have a plan, you won't do it. Get two commentaries. Let's say you're going to, let's, uh, let's, uh, uh, well, here we are in the book of Matthew. Matthew. Uh, Matthew 13. Say you're going to pick Matthew. Okay, so what I, what, what I did when I did Matthew, I ended up studying every single book in the New Testament and almost every one in the Old Testament. I went through all the books of the Bible over however many years. And I went and I ended up getting every one of them besides, so I don't know, maybe I missed one or two, but I think I got every one of them nearly. And so, until, and so make it a 10-year plan. You're going to go through every book of the Bible. I just studied it myself. I got two commentaries. You can go to a Bible school uh, library. We're getting one. But there's about 10 of them in the Kansas City area. There really are. You can go to the Internet. And at the very bottom of the page here, I have uh, Internet resources. There's a ton of commentaries free on, on the website, on the Internet. You can get them, download them, and you got your commentary. It doesn't cost you a dime. 
So what, what I would do is I'd pick my, uh, Bible, um, the book, like Matthew, when I picked Matthew, I'd go to the Christian bookstore, get two commentaries on Matthew. Someone said, did you get good ones? I don't know. I just picked the two that were there. I didn't know any. Some of them were kind of weird, but I just picked two commentaries. I didn't know anything. I didn't know whose names, who was good and who was bad. But I just went and got two. Then I'd borrow a few from others. Okay. Then I, what I would do is I would, take, I would take it one paragraph at a time. One paragraph at a time. That's what I have here, number one in highlighting. I would take Matthew chapter 13. Let's look at this. Verse 18 to 23. Right here, I would have my Bible open, I'd have commentary 1, commentary 2, and I would read at Matthew chapter 13, 18 to 23, I would read, it was maybe a page in each commentary, and I would highlight with my little color highlighter the things that excited me in that passage. That's what I would do. I would just highlight them. And I would have my notebook over here. And it said Matthew 13, verse 18 to 23. Where, wherever there was a chapter in the Bible, I just made that my little section I focused on. So I would highlight maybe 10 or 15 key sentences from each commentary. Then what I would do is I would title Matthew 18 to 23 in my own words. And this one I would put something like, uh, and, you know, because I, 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 I wasn't very concise. Sometimes I had like a paragraph sentence, you know. <laughs> This is the paragraph where Jesus talks about the four types of the Word of God and how they impacted them and how people backslid. And, oh, God, I don't want to backslid. Anyway, I had this real long... I started getting my title shorter. But I figure if you ever read Ephesians 1, it's got one sentence. It's about a whole chapter. I figured I always had that as a backup. As a backup. But uh, I would title it. Title it in your own words. Matthew 18, uh, Matthew 13, 18 to 23. How would you title that in your own words? Now, don't look at the commentaries and get their title. I mean, you could look at the commentaries, but come up with your own words. Then I would read over and say, okay, there's four types of soil. Okay, no, okay, the good guys and the bad guys. Okay, how to help the good guys not go bad. Okay, good. That's a good title. I, I would just, in whatever title I could come up with. But it took a lot of thinking. I had to read it over and over, and it's a whole different mindset when you're putting a title on it. Then the next thing I would do, after I titled it, I would write from, I would take the notes from the commentary, the two commentaries, I would write them down in my own words. Sometimes I'd write it word for word. Sometimes I'd paraphrase what the commentary said. I would write it down in my little notebook. You know, Matthew Henry said something. I'm just making this up. Well, when the Word of God is snatched away, verse 19, when the Word of God is snatched away, it's the devil stealing the Word. I would write, Oh, that's cool. The devil is stealing the word. I would just write down, right from the commentary, word for word, or sometimes I would paraphrase it. Everything I highlighted, I kind of, I wrote it down or paraphrased it into my notebook uh, with my own pen, my own hand. And that's critical because there's a tremendous transfer that happens when you read the commentary. That kind of gets you going to highlight it. You title the passage, you're getting more focused. Then I had to think through everything I, I underlined. And I wanted to rewrite it in my own words into my notebook or sometimes word for word because this was going to be my new commentary, my own written one. That's the one I was going to use in the future. So I'd write it down. And that was really fun because, you know, that you'd get stuck and you'd say, because you know, when you have to write it in your own words, you know, I'd say, well, I don't know what he means in that commentary, you know. And so sometimes I would just write it down word for word and sometimes I'd, I'd write it a little bit differently. Then underneath it, I'd write journal or in the old days, we didn't call it journal. We call it prayer. <laughs> anyway, and so now they talk about journaling. But in those, we just pray. I, just, so I would write a prayer asking the Lord to do to my heart or life what that passage talked about whenever it was applicable. Sometimes there wasn't a prayer. You know, sometimes I did, you know, the book of Numbers and 50,000 of the tribe of Levi, 50,000 of the tribe of Judah. I just wrote, you know, I hope my ministry grows big. You know, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know what to write. I said, well, I don't even know why I'm reading Numbers, to be honest, but here it is. I would write a prayer. I would write a prayer. That's it. That's all I did. And I tell you, that's the whole plan. I told you it was real simple. Roman numeral three, materials. Here's what you need. Today, you need a computer, because what, what I would do after it now, and I would still, of course, you don't have to do this part. I still like to handwrite it. I still do it to this day, and then later, I type it in, or Ann, or Chris, or, and others type it in, but, uh, but uh, 
Sometimes I do, but I still like that handwriting, So, but uh, writing it with my own hand because there's something that happens when you do that, but that doesn't mean you can't type it right from uh, uh, the, the beginning. But you want to put it into, I have a Matthew uh, 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 file. It's like if you go back in my office there, I got big files. Uh, you know, Zan's helped me with this. I have Matthew. I have that many files. I have Romans, this many files. I have First Samuel, that many files. She goes, my goodness, where did you write all these things? I go, from all those early days, just taking notes, and I just have files and files and files and files. Now it's her job to get all that on the computer. No, not really. She doesn't have to do that. Take three lifetimes. But I, I probably have hun- probably 300, 500, I mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of notebooks just full of all my notes from 18, 19, 20, all the way through, just doing them day by day, month by month, year by year. You want to put them in a notebook. And so look what you need materials. You need a Bible study notebook. I had a big notebook, Bible study mo- notebook, Matthew. Bible study notebook, Mark. Bible study mo- notebook, uh, Luke. Oh, sorry, Luke. <laughs> Bible study notebook, Paul. No, that's not one. Uh, uh, John. Anyway, right down through. And so I would have one for each book of the Bible before, again, I don't know if I did 100%, but nearly. All you need is a two commentaries, a Bible study notebook for each Bible study. I would encourage you to get a Bible study briefcase. And what, the reason I say that, because if I have my Bible study notebook of Matthew, my two commentaries, my papers, my pens, all in one briefcase, I, then it's more... Uh, for my personality, I ended up taking it wherever I went. If I put all that in my other briefcase and it all got mixed up and matched and somebody gave me books and someone borrowed this and that and then I'd lose weight, I had a briefcase that was my dedicated to all my materials. So whenever I picked it up, I had my whole set up there and I would go to the prayer meetings back in the St. Louis days. We had a prayer room, not quite at this dimension, but uh, I'd take it to the prayer room. I would take it to Denny's. I would take it to the hospital because I used to uh, sneak away at the uh, uh, hospital library and the cafeterias because nobody knew me. I didn't know anybody there. I'd go to the hospital for hours and hours and hours and study. That was a, a great little secret I used to do. But I would just to take my little uh, uh, Bible study uh, uh, briefcase and I had all my stuff there. There you have it. Amen. That was easy. Let's stand.